0: Our second scripture reading today comes to us from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1825. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. These are the inspired words of God. May they work in you and through you to the glory and praise of God. Let me ask you a question. If you knew with 100% certainty that God was going to do something, would you still pray for it? Say you knew that tomorrow God would heal a sick relative or a sick friend. Would you then today get on your knees, and ask God for their healing. Our prayers tend to focus on things that we don't know. Yet God knows all things. He knows whom he will heal. He knows whom he will save. There's nothing that surprises him. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus even tells you that your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Yet we are, we are called to pray for these things anyways, even though God has already fixed them on His to-do list. It's with this in mind that we continue on our journey in the book of Philippians. Now, if you recall from last week, We learn that Paul had planted a church in Philippi, yet roughly ten years had passed, and Paul was now in chains for preaching the gospel. He was stuck sitting in a prison cell in Rome. This church in Philippi heard of what was happening to Paul, so they sent Epaphroditus to him, In order to aid this apostle with a monetary gift in his time of need. Once this gift had arrived, Paul sent Epaphroditus back to them with a letter in order to thank them for their gift and to instruct them on the struggles that they were having as a church. And he began this epistle by taking upon himself the title, Slave of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul viewed Jesus as his master, giving up any ownership rights of his own. He then addressed the church as saints. They were the holy ones of God, being set apart from sin and from the world. God was sanctifying this church. And he greeted them with grace and peace that comes only from God. Grace being the forgiveness of sins and peace being reconciliation with the Father. With that introduction, we now get into the meat of the epistle. In Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Right away, we begin to get this feeling of Paul's genuine affection for these Philippian believers. This group of Christians were dear to his heart, just as children Are dear to the hearts of a loving father. In many ways, these Christians were Paul's children in the faith. So every time he thought of them, he would thank his God. I know when I think about my own children, it's it's hard not to be thankful. They are a joy to my heart. And sure, they have their moments. They need training and instruction. They don't always behave the way I would like them to behave. And I'm pretty sure that I don't always behave as they would like me to behave. Yet God has still gifted them to me. And so I'm thankful that they're in my life. Similarly, God had gifted this these Philippian believers to Paul. This church was his family, and he appreciated the treasure that they were. So as he prayed for them, his heart filled with joy. Joy not only in the fact that God had called them out of slavery from sin, but that they had partnered with him in the gospel from day one. Now, the Greek word for partnership here is koinonia. It is a financial term meaning to share in a resource. But this partnership is more than just money. For it communicated both their love for Paul and their desire to see more and more people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In essence, Their giving was honoring to God. You see, Paul, he didn't take pleasure in worldly possessions or the comforts that can come out of such partnerships. I'm sure that the money that they gave to him uh, helped him out greatly over the years. Yet his real joy came in knowing that these believers, they were committed To advancing the gospel message. And he was excited that Jesus was being proclaimed both in Philippi and outside the city walls. And now his joy, it wasn't just rooted in some sentimental feeling either, it was firmly planted in the knowledge that God was working among these believers. Look at verse 6 being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Though Paul had firsthand experience of their love and generosity, his confidence was not in the good hearts of these believers, but rather in the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Paul was secure in the truth that God's work cannot be thwarted. Throughout Scripture, we see the reliability that comes from our God. He always completes the work that he begins. For instance, in Genesis 2, verse 2, we read this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And again, in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus had these words to say. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God has been faithful in completing all of his labors, whether it is his creative work at the beginning or his saving work upon the cross. And now this work that he was doing among this church in Philippi, it was no different. The question we must ask, what is the work that God was doing in them? Is it the work of sanctification, which is God's purification of the believer? Or, Is it the evangelistic work of the church that Paul was just referring to prior in verse 5? The immediate context would lend one to believe that it was referring to to their partnership in the gospel. Yet in verses 9 through 11, Paul prays for their sanctification. Now I want to suggest that Paul is not drawing a firm line in the sand here, separating God's saving work. In other words, Paul is being ambiguous when he uses the term work. For God's sanctification within a believer and the work he does through this same believer to further the gospel message, they are closely tied together. In essence, what Paul is communicating is that God is working both in and through this church. He works in them by purifying them from sin. And he works through them by advancing the gospel message. All of this work will be complete by the time Christ returns. So whether it is the evangelism that grew the church, or whether it was a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, readying these Philippian believers for the new heavens and the new earth, Paul was confident that God would complete his labor in the fullness of time. For salvation, whether it is justification or sanctification or even glorification, it is all God's work from beginning to end. It was, just, it was more than just a head knowledge that, of God's salvific work that, that urged Paul to love this Philippian church with such affection. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. One might ask how anyone can be sure of another person's salvation. And truly, only God knows these things for certain. Yet Paul based his opinion on the evidence of God working in their lives. You see, Paul can have this confidence that God is working both in them and through them, for he had tasted the fruit, namely their partnership in the gospel. You see, this Philippian church supported Paul in his ministry even while he was in chains. Now, they had no way of knowing if Paul was being productive and fruitful while behind bars, yet this group of believers still chose to sacrifice for him. He was, after all, the missionary that brought to them this saving message. So whether Paul was active or inactive in the gospel, they tended to his needs. This is why we see Paul having such affections for this church. Their hearts were aligned with his heart. Most of you know that my family and I were missionaries in Thailand for roughly nine years. And we had faithful people here in the States that supported us both financially and through prayer when we were suddenly uprooted from the mission field, when we came back to the U.S., we didn't know how these partners would respond now that we were off the mission field. Yet the majority of them remained loyal to us, even though that our work in Thailand was done. For six months, they continued to sacrifice and to give and to pray until I was called to fill the pastorate here. Some even gave beyond the six months, knowing that we needed funding for our debrief and renewal uh, training that we had out in Colorado. In many ways, these believers are in my heart. I see the working of Christ within them and through them, for they had a concern not only for me, but for my whole family as well. What Paul experienced with this church in Philippi is similar to our experience with our friends here in the U.S. A, sacrifice, a sacrificial heart that goes beyond just how is my dollar being used, but is invested in the relationship as well. <clears throat> in Paul's case, Most people would have felt shame conversing with someone who was behind bars. But not these Philippians. They were loyal to their father in the faith. This is the power of the gospel. It creates family bonds where there previously were none. So Paul, he called upon God as his witness that he loved this church with the love of Christ and in that love, he lifted, him, lifted them up in his prayers. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> and this is my prayer, that, you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Though Paul is confident that the God who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion, he still asks God for this very thing. He prays for God's will to be done. That's how Jesus taught us how to pray, is it not? Thy will be done. Paul knows full well that God will sanctify this church. Yet he prays for their sanctification anyways. You see, prayer is a means of God's grace. This is the mystery of God's saving work in the life of a Christian. It is all God's work, but he uses different means or tools to produce this work. One of these means is through prayer. There are times when God will call you to pray for things that are uncertain to you. But often, he calls you to pray for things that you can be confident in, such as God's sanctifying work in your life and in the life of other believers. But what exactly is Paul praying for? What is he asking God to do for these believers whom he loves so much? These Christians who are so committed to the gospel. There is a sequential pattern to Paul's thoughts here. The first thing is that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. What is Paul referring to here? We already know that this church had great love, for they gave of themselves to God and to those who were in need. They took care of their apostle when they could have easily turned their backs on him. Yet Paul desired that their love might abound in knowledge and depth of insight. Why this prayer? Often today we hear hear sermons about Knowledge without love. Such knowledge is like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It is loud, but it profits nothing. The image that comes to mind is uh, the stuffy theologian who's sitting alone in his ivory tower with his books and not really concerned about the people around him. Surely this is a danger but equally as perilous and little talked about is love without knowledge. You see, love and knowledge, they are linked to one another. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6 says this, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love and knowledge our partners. Love is not this mindless entity. Rather, knowledge is the way of love. I mean, you cannot love something that you do not know. So love without the truth is not really love at all. This has been Satan's scheme from the beginning to distort the truth of God in order to to snuff out his love. It is the truth concerning God and the gospel that Paul is concerned about. As a Christian matures, their knowledge of who God is and how God saves should increase. But when false knowledge concerning these things creep in, then disunity enters and love faith the early church they faced inv- invasions of different heresies from the beginning the earliest one being the judaizing heresy and this form of teaching it, it made the claim that faith was not enough but certain laws such as circumcision must be practiced as well for gentiles to be included into the family of god this was an attack on the gospel. It was an attack on how God saves. In Acts, we read about the Jerusalem council as they strongly refuted this, the Judaizing heresy. And Paul wrote a whole epistle to the church in Galatia countering this heresy. Yet this false teaching continued to spread And we can even see forms of it today as well. The Hebrew Roots Movement is one such example of the Judaizing heresy. Docetism was another heresy that hit the church shortly after the Judaizing threat. Docetism was an early form of Gnosticism, which is rooted in the idea that the material things of this world are, are evil. And only that which is spiritual can be good. These docetists, they claim that Jesus did not have a real body. He did not have flesh and blood. Rather, it only seemed like he did. In other words, it was an illusion. This was an attack on God's nature. It was an attack on who God is the Apostle John and Jude refuted such things in their epistles. However, these docetic and gnostic thoughts continued to spread as well. And today we see the fruit of this false teaching in the mind science and new age cults, such as Christian scientists, or really any mind over matter or positive thinking types of teaching. But true love is rooted in the truth. It always has been and it always will be. So Paul prays for these Christians to have their love abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight in order that they may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless. Now discernment, is the ability to judge between what is correct and what is wrong. The best way to judge something is by gaining knowledge of that subject. For example, a bank teller who handles money all day long should be so familiar with the look, the feel, the smell of a real dollar bill that they should be able to spot a fake immediately. They they have gained so, so much knowledge and depth of insight on dollar bills that when the counterfeit comes, they're not fooled. Similarly, a mature Christian should know God's word so well that when a false teaching comes along, they should be able to see the lie right away. This is what Paul is praying for. That their love would abound in knowledge in order that they would not be fooled by these false teachings and heresies. Paul was praying that they would have discernment. But this knowledge has another benefit as well. For the study of God's word also leads to purity. Scripture is transforming. It is one of the tools or means that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify his children. The greater one increases their knowledge of God and of his work, the holier they should become. This is God's will for all believers. He prepares them for the day of his coming. When sin will be done away with. He trains Christians in holiness. For one day, that is all there will be. God's redeemed are to walk in the Holy Spirit, which leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What did I forget? Gentleness. Yet this sanctification process is not done just for the sake of Christians. For the reform that is seen in sinful men. It magnifies God's saving power. It brings glory and praise to his name. You see, Paul desired that the lost would see the lives of these Philippian believers and give praise and honor to God. Praise for the work that he has done both in them and through them. This is exactly what Jesus talked about in our first scripture reading. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The sanctification of the Christian is not just for their sake, but for the sake of others as well. So let's review. In this section of Paul's letter, we we see that he is thankful for this church. For they did not forsake their partnership with him in bringing the gospel to a lost world, even though he was in chains. So whenever Paul thought about them, it filled his heart with joy. And Paul was confident that God would complete his work both in them and through them. To that end, Paul prays for that very thing, that their love would abound more and more in knowledge, that they would be both discerning and holy, that they would bear the fruit of the Spirit, All to God's glory. Yet this hope does not belong to the church in Philippi alone. This is God's desire for all of his children. Dear friends, if you have repentant faith in Jesus, if you truly believe that Jesus lived a sinless life and died for your sins upon the cross, and that he rose from the dead three days later, If you have faith that he ascended into heaven and now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you, then God desires to work in you and through you as well. You see, salvation does not stop the moment you believe. Yes, because of the blood of Christ, you are forever justified in God's sight. Yet he will complete the good work that he began in you until Christ returns. He continues to save you. He will work in you sanctifying you for his purposes. And he will work through you as you partner with him in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you continue to dig into his word, he will reveal to you more and more about who he is and what he has done for you. He will give you discerning ears and he will make you holy. For whom he has saved, he will continue to save. And those that he continues to save, he will ultimately save. Let us pray. Father, Paul's prayer is my prayer for this church as well. That our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that we may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.